Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray. My co-host is Ellen McGirt. And our guest today is a man who runs a business that has seen a big surge in customers since the pandemic hit. He's Marvin Ellison of Lowe's. He's also one of only four black CEOs to run a Fortune 500 company. That's right, Alan. Marvin has been dedicated to issues of equity and diversity throughout his long career. And today he's announcing an exciting new initiative. Marvin, welcome to Leadership Next. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I read the notes on this new project of yours, and it seems both very necessary and very theatrical. What can you tell us about it? Well, we call it Making It With Lowe's. And this is just our way as a, a large company to allow everyday small businesses who, as we all agree, is the cornerstone of our economy, to get a chance to put product on the shelf of a major company. And so we're, we're excited about the possibility of reaching out to minority-owned and diverse companies and allowing those individuals who have products that they think could serve the needs of a lowest customer to go through a process to see if they can be selected to go on our shelves, both in-store and online. And, and we're excited about offering this unique opportunity you know, to these companies to give them a chance at achieving you know, the American dream. Now, you've got some star power behind this project. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how that's going to work? Well, we do. I mean, we're going to have this set up uh, a little bit like a very popular show that we've all come to love called Shark Tank, where we're going to have <laughs> the uh, candidates come in and pitch their product. And Damon Johns, who's you know, one of the original and current members of the Shark Tank team, is going to join me to help select the final candidates. But Damon's also going to take an additional step. He's going to also uh, mentor and coach some of the business owners as they finalize their pitch, you know, to the Lowe's management team. So I think it's going to be a unique opportunity to have someone like Damon, who's an incredible business leader and someone who literally started a brand and has just been an incredible ambassador, you know, to entrepreneurship, to be available as a coach to some of these small business owners. So we're excited to partner with Damon and he's excited to be a part of this process. All right. Before I throw to Alan, I just want to ask what your your legendary data driven decision maker. What's the big ROI here? What will you be looking for that will tell you this is successful? Well, look, the big ROI is just providing an opportunity. You know, for someone you know who grew up in a in a small town in the South uh, with large family that had a lot of love but not a lot of you know financial support. The, the thing that my parents taught me was the power of an opportunity and the power of taking advantage of an opportunity. And, and so for us, we're not looking at this from a big financial return on investment. We're looking at it as a chance to take a, a small business that's minority owned and give these individuals an opportunity to take products that they probably nurtured and developed over the years to have a chance to put it literally on the shelf or virtually on the shelf of a major Fortune 50 company to serve customers. And so this is all about reaching back, doing our part to try to play a role in helping the small business community. And I think some of you all know that, you know, we were you know, one of a handful of large companies that decided you know, in this very difficult 
COVID-19 pandemic that we're in to reach back to try to do our part to have small businesses. And, and we launched a $55 million small business grant program specifically for minority-owned businesses and rural businesses to give them a chance to get a grant from us just to keep the doors open and to stay operational. And some of the emails that I've received the last couple of months from small business owners, you know, who were either owners of a sandwich shop or someone who owned a barber shop or nail shop or beauty shop or all types of diverse businesses, including small general contractors that said something as simple as, you know, the $20,000 grant I received allowed me to keep my payroll going for the next three months or the $10,000 grant allowed me to keep my rent paid for the next four months. Those are the kinds of things that we're trying to do just to provide opportunities for small businesses. Good for you, Marvin. I mean, it is clear that small businesses have gotten clobbered much worse than large businesses during this pandemic. And I want to get back to Lowe's in just a minute. But 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 tell me this. This is a very big problem you were trying to address. And it sounds like a fun way to address it. But really, how big is this? I mean, how many new products do you think you're going to get on your shelves through this program? It's a great question, Alan. We're not real sure. What we will do is we're going to allow the applicants to apply. We're going to narrow the pool down to to roughly 375 businesses, and then we're just going to work it down to what we'll call the the top five business owners that's going to be selected, and those are the ones that Damon is going to help to coach. Now, if there are great ideas, we're not going to limit it to five or one. We're going to try to help as many companies as we can. And this, again, this is going to sound probably a little disingenuous, but this is really not about trying to find ways to generate a revenue for Lowe's as much as it is trying to find a way to give some of these businesses a chance to get their products on the shelf and just see what happens from there. Yeah. Let me turn to Lowe's because you had an amazing surge in business during the pandemic, actually a larger surge than Home Depot, in part because Home Depot has a larger contractor business that got hit pretty hard. But is that going to continue? What are you seeing now? So I don't know what I can tell you now is as we continue to talk to customers, we have two specific things we're seeing. Uh, first, if you are a professional customer and we call pros, you're seeing your pipeline of jobs start to fill back up again. The first part of the year was obviously very tough for a lot of general contractors because most people were very leery and hesitant to allow someone in their home as they try to work through the risk of COVID-19. So a lot of our general contractors and professional customers saw their businesses disproportionately impacted in the first quarter of the year those businesses are starting to come back and they're seeing their job pipeline start to build back up again. So that's, that's good for our overall business. Second, from a do it yourself standpoint, we call these DIY customers. These customers have a unique challenge that most of us are facing. And that is the redefinition of the home. You know, we've all understood the value of home ownership, but in today's environment, your home is now being redesigned as a home office is being redesigned as a homeschooling location, as being redesigned as a place where you spend most of your time for entertainment and for recreation. And so those do-it-yourself customers are coming to Lowe's, allowing us to help them define and redefine those three 
you know, unique categories of the home. 12 months ago, very few people were thinking about their home as a home office, home school, and place of recreation and relaxation primarily. And so now because of that, we're starting to see demand and that demand continues to remain strong. We're here now with my dear friend and colleague, Phil Waba, who is a senior writer at Fortune and who knows the retail sector better than any reporter I've ever met. And he's here to help us all break this down. Phil, welcome to Leadership Next. Thank you. I want to start with the challenges facing Lowe's in general and Marvin Ellison in particular looking ahead right now here in this world that we're in. So Lowe's has lagged Home Depot for many, many years for a variety of reasons. One main reason was it was way behind Home Depot and on the in the e-commerce front. But Lowe's has begun to narrow that gap. Now, of course, both companies have an enormous tailwind right now. During the pandemic, everybody's spending a lot of money on their home. And so that has boosted both companies. But now the big challenge for Lowe's is, can they claw back some of that market share that they ceded to Home Depot gradually over the years? For Ellison, the challenges are, can he galvanize the troops uh, as he needs to? You know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Uh, There's a lot Mm -hmm. of worry about working in stores. But one of Ellison's biggest assets, and we saw this at JCPenney and before that Home Depot, he's beloved by the rank and file. And so Mm. they really, really, really show up for him. He's a thoughtful leader. And even at JCPenney, where the company was having a lot of problems, people did rally behind him and wanted to succeed for him. Could you tell us a little bit about his background? You know, on one hand, it sounds like a real American dream success story, but I'm guessing that's part of the reason he's able to connect with rank and file workers. Well, you know, he he grew up in a poor town, a two traffic light town near Memphis. And so, you know, he had a very modest upbringing. He started his career in retail or early on in his career in retail, he ended up at Target and he was what they call asset protection, which basically means uh, the, the guy who prevents shoplifting. And he made his way up. And I think, you know, because of those humble beginnings, and he'll say also he's a person of faith, those have kept him from getting a swollen head, which, of course, uh, a swollen head has felled many a retail CEO. You just have to look at the landscape right now to see that. <laughs> so he's very much connected, and he, he knows how success can be fleeting. Mm-hmm. And he also knows the importance. A, re- a retailer, a national retailer like Lowe's cannot succeed if it doesn't have employees on board. Right. That's absolutely true. So looking ahead... We, we talked about the landscape for retail. What are some of the things that you'd be looking for for him specifically to do that would signal to you, yeah, he's got it. He's on the right path. Well, he needs to uh, continue the, this e-commerce expansion. I mean, this is, you know, they're, I would say they're in the, the middle portion of overhauling their e-commerce. He told me uh, in July he was going to vastly expand the assortment that they have online because actually Home Depot sells four times more products online than Lowe's does. He has to narrow that gap. They did a very quick job of order online, pick up in store or drive by the, the pandemic forced them, but they need to build up the, the ways customers can retrieve orders. And he has to make more inroads with the contractor community. And, you know, Home Depot are no shrinking violets. Uh, it's an, right. They're an astounding retailer, so they're, they're not going to give market share up uh, that easily. So my, my last question really is about the spirit of the moment that we're in. We're in a global, but specifically national, reckoning on race and justice. He's one of the few black CEOs in the Fortune 500. It's a shamefully low number. And he has been quietly leading on the subject of diversity and inclusion. How 
important do you think this is going forward as part of his portfolio of duties? It's essential because this retailer is not going to get anywhere if it doesn't have its employees lined up. You see every major retailer also talking about diversity and the importance of their employees and respecting employees because at the end of the day, if the employees don't feel appreciated by the company, they're not going to give you the good customer service that you need at the store level. And sure, it might irk some customers, but ultimately, you know, if they want that private label, you know, the the Lowe's branded screwdriver or drill, that's what they want. And they'll just, you know, people talk a good talk about boycotting retailers for this, that, or the other reason. But ultimately, they they do choose the retailer that gives them the best service and the best products. So uh, from my vantage point, it's essential that he do that because he, he needs to have his employees on board with him. Phil Waba, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you very much, Ellen. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte U.S., which is the sponsor of this podcast. Joe's one of the most thoughtful people I've met on the topics we discuss here every week. Joe, thanks for joining. Alan, pleasure to be with you. Joe, every crisis creates opportunities and great challenges spark even greater innovation. How should leaders make the most of the current crisis and the current challenge? Alan, if I look at our own organization at Deloitte, we have over 300,000 professionals around the globe who have virtualized the firm overnight, maintaining continuity of exceptional service to our clients. And we're advising our clients right now to devote the right energy to each phase of what lies ahead. There is certainly the near term of responding and recovering, but after that, you want to be positioned to thrive. Yeah, that's really interesting, Joe. We're not going to return to normal. We're preparing for a new normal. We are. And while it is unfortunate that these challenging and tragic circumstances are serving as the catalyst, there can be no doubt that the new ways of working, the new ways of delivering within a complex value chain are going to fundamentally change the way in which work is accomplished forever. Joe, thanks for being part of it. And thanks for your sponsorship of this podcast. Alan, it's a privilege. And we're back with Marvin Ellison. It seems like corporate America is going through a pretty serious reckoning right now on anti-racism, languaging and restructuring, and, and a very serious conversation about race and justice. This is something that you've been focused on for a long time. Can you take us behind the scenes, the kinds of conversations you're having with your peers about what needs to happen now to make sure there are more black and brown executives and leaders in the Fortune 500 going forward? As you can imagine, a lot of conversation. And I've had you know fellow CEOs to reach out to me just to, to seek input and to get advice. As you mentioned from the very beginning of the program, I'm fortunate enough to be one of only four African-American CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Fortunate and also it's a little disheartening. Right. I'm, I'm pretty confident in myself, but I don't think I'm one of the four best African-American executives walking the face of the earth. I, I just think <laughs> it's, a, it's a unique situation that we're in. Having said that, the approach that, that I've taken on this uh, is to really focus on the areas where I can drive the greatest amount of change. Uh, and that happens to be in two places. It happens to be at home with my two college-age children that are still on my payroll. <laughs> so they have to listen to my wife and I about how we expect them to live, interact, and be good citizens. And so my wife and I 
spent a lot of time, you know, trying to influence those two wonderful kids that we have because that's the role of any parent. But my second big responsibility is to the 300,000 employees that work for Lowe's. It is my responsibility to ensure that we have policies, practices in place that will allow anyone who desires to be successful. And so my objective as CEO of this company is to make sure that that we sometimes have what I call uncomfortable conversations internally that will allow all of us to learn from each other, allow all of us to have more empathy for what the next person is dealing with, but also to ensure that we are learning how to lead, learning how what is happening in society is relevant in our workplace and the adjustments we need to make to ensure that we are creating a workplace of choice and that we are not creating issues that mirror some of the challenges that we're seeing on the news and in our communities right now. And in terms of your own talent pipeline, what have you learned about diversifying the executive ranks? I think, you know, as a black man, uh, it didn't take, you know, social unrest and police violence for me to understand when I arrived here two years ago that we needed to diversify our executive ranks. So it was something that was an immediate focus for me coming in, looking at roughly 120 officers, you know, VPs and above, and having a very small number of people who were black or brown. And so that became an immediate focus, and I'm pleased with our progress. If I take a look now just at the executive suite, just executive vice presidents that report to me, uh, we have two African-American executive vice presidents, and proud of my arrival, we had zero. We have a female leader of our information technology. We have a female leader who's our chief marketing executive. And so we've made changes that have made the organization better. But more importantly, if you are a young woman working in the company, you now can look you know, to the C-suite here at Lowe's and you can see someone that looks just like you. If you're a young black man and, and you're out there wondering if you can ever get a shot uh, at a broader opportunity, you can see someone that looks just like you. And as a young black man who's coming up in business, I can't express how powerful it is to walk in a room or turn on a computer screen and see someone in the company that looks just like you representing a role that you only dream of achieving. That is a very powerful symbolic statement, but it's a powerful statement because the individuals in these jobs are excellent executives and they are representing the company well. One of the reasons why we're able to deliver a 35% comp growth in the second quarter because we have a really good team in place that understands how to run a retail business. And just coincidentally, they happen to be very diverse. And that's something that's going to remain a focus you know, for me as long as I'm here. Hey, Marvin, I, I need to ask you before we let you go, what happened to JCPenney? I mean, great American brand seems to be dying right in front of us. You were CEO there until 2018. What can you tell us about the lessons from the demise of that company? It's a great question, and, and these are lessons that I'll always remember. So upon our, our arriving at, at JCPenney, they had gone through a really difficult time uh, with a, a CEO who made some critical strategic mistakes. And, and I think in business and, and in the annals of business cases and business theory, JCPenney will always exist for a couple reasons. Number one, it's a great lesson 
in making sure as leaders you understand who your core customer is. The CEO that came in did not understand the core. You're talking about Ron Johnson. Uh, yeah, Ron, Ron Johnson. I think I, I think that's well chronicled. So that's that's no no news. <laughs> <laughs> I just paid attention right. to JC and, and retail. Didn't really understand who the core customer was and decided to pursue another younger, you know, more millennial customer when that core customer was really loyal to that brand. That's one. Number two is understanding why customers shop your particular business. And at that time, customers enjoyed the discounting. They enjoyed the couponing. It was a way for them to see value. And it was also a relevance that they saw. And taking that away without an understanding of how customers embraced it was also, you know, a critical mistake. I, I think the other thing that was a great learning is in any large enterprise, you should never roll out an enterprise wide initiative without first having some form of a pilot or test to understand what the customer's response will be before you make an all in bet and roll it out to the entire company. You know, all of those things played a role in the decline of JCP, but also ties to the fact that this is a very dynamic environment that we're operating in. And in the onset of, of e-commerce challenges every retail business to take a hard look at your entire go-to-market strategy. And do you have the right capital investment strategy to serve customers any way they choose to shop? Because customers are not going to allow you to dictate to them how they shop. They will dictate to the business. And I think that was another classic mistake. Having said all of that, I look at my tenure there and I have no regrets. We were able to dramatically reduce the debt. We were able to take the company to positive earnings, able to save a lot of jobs. And we were able to generate an incredible amount of EBITDA in, in a period of time where the company was pronounced you know, dead on arrival. And so I feel like that the lessons learned for me there will be lessons that will stick with me for a lifetime. And I'm pleased to see the company appears to be emerging from bankruptcy. And, and I'm hoping that they yeah. can find a way to redefine themselves because there's a place in, in, in the American society for a company like JCPenney. Yeah, well, I agree with you. It'll be a business school case study for probably decades to come. Ellen, you had a final question for Marvin. Well, I just wanted to shout out um, my Lowe's here in Chesterfield, Missouri. I want to leave on a really (laughs) positive note. I spend more money there than I think at any other retailer, and I have for years. They know me by name. They've helped me with every major and minor project, including building a potato cannon with my then 10-year-old son, which was like the achievement of my parenting dream. What is a potato cannon? I'm going to send you the blueprints. We got it on (laughs) Mythbusters. I know exactly how to build one. So, Marvin, I wanted you to to make sure that you know that you know, I'm living the Lowe's lifestyle here, and I'm very <laughs> grateful for the work that everybody has been doing at such a difficult time. Ellen, you just became one of my favorite media uh, person. <laughs> she is all of our favorite media person. Marvin, thank you very much for taking the time. Fascinating initiative. We'll look forward to to uh, checking out what's on your uh, the new stuff that's on your shelves. I'm going to buy it. Good luck. <laughs> well, thank you all both for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Fortune Media.
Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 